welcome to episode three of the Wandering Artist Podcast. Thank you all so much for the outpouring of love and support for this project, and I'm overwhelmed by the beautiful messages and reviews you've left for me. I feel very fortunate to reach so many people in need of a little encouragement and lightness at this time in their lives. Today, I am beyond excited to share my conversation with Danny Gregory. His resume is very full, but in summary, Danny is a celebrated writer, artist, and co-founder of Sketchbook School. Sketchbook School is a video-based art school that has inspired tens of thousands to document their stories through illustration. I happen to be one of those students and a huge fan. Danny graciously shares a bit of his story today and talks about how his art made a profound difference to him in times of tragedy, loss, and pain. His practice has helped him to transform the way he lives his life, and I know a lot of it has rubbed off on me these past few years as I struggle with my own journey. So enjoy getting to know Danny as he bestows us with his wisdom and a bit of humor sprinkled in. Well, Danny, I just wanted to say welcome and thank you for agreeing to be interviewed on my pod- podcast. It's nice to um, meet you finally. I-, I can see you, the listeners can't, but um, I've followed you for a long time. And um, I just want to share with you that um, kind of a little funny anecdote. Um, you were my big get. So and when I, when I was deciding to do this podcast, you were the one I thought, you know, if I could get Danny Gregory to agree to be interviewed. Um, so I agonized over this email invitation to you and what I wanted to say and my mission and, and what I hope to accomplish and um, probably took a half hour to write it, and you responded in three minutes with a yes. So I just wanted to tell you that. Um, uh, so I'm not sure what that says, other than that you're a really gracious person and um, fast um, typist, very yeah, fast typist. <laughs> and a fast reader too. So, <laughs> so, so here you are, my big get, and I'm I'm thrilled to have you. And I know um, you have a huge online presence, so there there'll be a lot of people that'll be touched with what you what you have to share today. Well, I'm really honored that uh, you have me here um, talking to you because, you know, I think what you've gone through is is um, as imp- is an important experience to share, you know, and I feel like uh, I'm glad to share it with you and also share my own experiences along similar lines. I think, um, you know, these are important conversations and all too often we don't get to have them really. So... Um, that's but as you, said to, yeah, as you said to me earlier, we're not going to be all glum and sad. We're going to... No, no, no. Because I think, I think anyone wants to move, move you know, you, you can't really move past it, but move through it. And um, so that, that's been, you know, my experience. But, but I actually found you and learned about you long before Sketchbook School um, when I picked up your book, um, A Kiss Before You Go, and I'm not sure how it landed in my hands or where I found it or if someone gave it to me, but it is just um, an absolutely beautiful tribute to your wife. And I was just wondering if you'd share the story. I think your words would be a lot better than mine in describing it. Sure. Actually, strangely enough, today is Patty's birthday. Uh, Yeah, today she would have been 61, um, but uh, she passed away uh, just 10 years ago, 10 years ago last month. So, um, yeah, but that's, that's not really her story. Her story um, goes back. She, Patty, was, um, Patty was an amazing person. She was very funny. She was very beautiful. She was very positive. 
and very creative and uh, and and a, a troublemaker as well in a lot of ways. Um, she was a good at playing practical jokes on people, and she and I had um, we had a lot in common, but we were also very different. And we met when we were uh, twenty five or twenty six, and <clears throat> she worked in the fashion business. She was um, a fashion director and a fashion forecaster, and then she became a fashion stylist. But she, she loved clothes and she loved fashion as, a, as an art form as well. Um, and when Patty, so we got, we got married, we met in, um, in a restaurant in Manhattan where we lived, um, 18 West 18th Street. And we, we met there at a party and five years later to the day we got married in the same place. Um, also 18 West 18th Street, which had then changed into some other restaurant and is now a bookstore, which is also appropriate. Um, so, you know, we, we, we got married, then we had a son um, a few years later. And in 1991, Patty was on her way to work and she was doing a shoot uptown and she somehow mysteriously, nobody knows quite what the reason was, but she fell onto the tracks of the subway and the train rolled in number one train at Christopher street and three cars rolled over her body. And when it stopped, she was alive, but she had had her spinal cord crushed. So she was paraplegic and she spent the rest of her life in a wheelchair. Um, now, Patty and I had been, um, you know, we thought we had sort of a charmed life. We both were doing things that we really loved doing. Our son was nine months old at the time. He was healthy. He was doing well. But suddenly, from one minute to the next, our lives changed so dramatically, so unimaginably. I mean, neither of us had even known anybody who was in a wheelchair, and suddenly um, this happened. So Patty spent uh, a month, two months actually, in the hospital. And when she came back home, she wanted to sort of get on with her life and, and be a mom and figure out how to work again and do all those things. And she was just a very um, a positive person, as I said. So I think she really saw the possibilities that life could have for her still. And for me, it was kind of a more, I mean, I was going to say more traumatic, but it was. It was obviously more traumatic for her. But, but it was still sort of psychologically, spiritually. I was just very confused, lost. Mis I just didn't know where our life was were going to be going. I didn't know what the future held for us. And I spent a lot of time trying to find answers for this. And I, um, I spoke to a lot of people. I read a lot of books. I went to visit ministers and priests and Buddhist monks and all kinds of people just trying to find answers. And nothing really seemed to answer like an age-old question, which is why do these things happen? And what are you supposed to do about it? And then um, one day after all the searching, I had this kind of urge to go and draw. It wasn't something I'd really done since I was a kid. I hadn't been um, art, art creative that way. And so I drew the contents of my medicine cabinet and you know very simple drawings of like bottles and jars and brushes and stuff like that and then it, there was something about that experience that just felt really 
cleansing and transformative and grounding in a way. Like I suddenly felt like I was in the moment. And I think I had spent all this time thinking about what would be, you know? And they say that if you live in the future, you're going to be surrounded by anxiety. And if you live in the past, you'll be surrounded by, I don't know, regret or, or powerlessness. But if you live in the present, you can be balanced, you know? And so this experience of drawing this simple thing just put me in the moment. I was no longer thinking, what are we going to do? How's it going to be like to live with a wife in a wheelchair? And blah, 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 blah. All these swirling thoughts have been going on in my mind were, were suddenly calm and quiet. And so, do, do you think it was you? You were focusing so much on what you were drawing and actually seeing that you were able to sort of get outside your own head and and yeah. not think about everything else going on for the moment. Yeah, because I think drawing is what well, picky drawing from um, observation is really about slowing down, noticing what's going on in front of you, and not creating something. And I think so much of the time I had been creating a future and a future that was dark and scary and full of anxiety and suddenly there was something very anchoring and calming and secure about just saying just draw this line draw that line do this thing do that thing step by step you know and um it's a zen thing really i mean that's ultimately what so much so many meditative practices are is about how do you just be here now. How do you concentrate on your breathing or whatever it is? But so that, that worked for me um, at that moment. And then the next day I did a drawing of Patty sitting on the couch and I drew her, you know, and it wasn't like an amazing drawing probably, but what it did do is it let me see her as she is now. And I'd been seeing her, I realized as a source of problems, like she was like, how are we going to deal with this? How are we going to, what are we going to do? You know, are, you, are we still equal partners? All these things. And then I saw her and she was that same girl that I had met at 18 West 18th Street, you know, 10 oh, years before. Beautiful. Yeah, she was still her. She was still, and I, and I realized like, I'm not in this alone. And she's still here. You know, we can, we're still gonna, we're gonna go through this together. And there's something again about that drawing that just stopped me wrapping reality in this, this fantasy of, of grimness. And instead I said, okay, for now, at least I can be here. And so that became a practice for me, just drawing the stuff of my life, you know, and it's, it's I still do it. Right. So, so, so you, um, I, I do want to just one little, a sentence that you wrote in that book where you, you, you told the story uh, about Patty and her accident and um, you, you wrote in there, uh, quote, I am getting on with life, I think, which seems to mean packing away the rituals and memories and straw and gossamer because I can no longer share them and I need my heart back. And I thought that was so beautiful. And I know for me as a widow, um, you know, I can't change anything that's happened, but I, but I need some sense of, of a life back, you know, some, some way to move on into, you know, what, what's the new normal? Yeah, I think, and I think it's interesting that you said my life back because that's the question is like, you can't get that life back, but you can get the life forward, right? You can get what it was going to be. And, 
you know, that line that I, that you quoted was, was something I said after, after she had died, which was, um, do I spend, do I fetishize her and everything associated with her, you know, and do I worry constantly about, about, am I doing enough to honor her? Am I forgetting her? Um, do I need to feel, do I, if I don't feel guilty, am I betraying her? Um, and, and also, Patty and I had a very, our life had a lot of romantic things in it, had a lot of nicknames and rituals and places we went to and stuff we did and things we collected and all this stuff. There was all this stuff of it. And our life, our house was actually packed. I mean, all the walls were covered with pictures and we collected um, taxidermied animals at one point and we had books and just, and Patty loved to keep stuff. So we had like, we had like every, she would go and take photographs. She would shoot, you know, with, she would shoot a lot of photographs with 35 millimeter film and she would always get double prints. So we had so many photographs and double prints of them. And all the time that, that Jack was growing up, um, my son, he was, you know, we just had everything he ever did. We had photographs and then they went into albums and then we kept like every piece of clothing, every like sort of stained baby gap onesie that he had ever worn was sitting in a box somewhere. So it's just like all this stuff that was, and I felt very um, conflicted about it. Like what, like, am I, do I live in this, in the, like sort of um, Miss Haversham um, living surrounded by these relics? Or am I betraying it by moving on? It's a, it's a, it took me a long time to figure that out. Right. I know it took me a long time as well to, you know, there, there's still things that I'm holding on to, but, but it's been four and a half years for me, but it's still been an everyday process. But I do think that um, having, it's almost like living in a museum, like you said, and, um, and are you honoring them by, by holding on to it? But yeah, I and I also, yeah, I also know that Patty wouldn't have wanted me to. I mean, she wouldn't have wanted me to um, be frozen in time. She wanted, and she, and she particularly wouldn't have wanted that for Jack. Mm-hmm. You know, to live in a museum about his mother. Mm-mm. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, do you, um, y- you share some beautiful um, intimate details about, you know, saying goodbye to your wife and, um, I was just wondering if you, it was so touching and, and deeply personal. Did you find that was cathartic and, and why, how hard was it to share this with, um, you know, to, to publish it, put it in a book and share it with everyone? Well, so as I said, I started to draw after Patty's accident and it took me a while. You know, I had filled lots of sketchbooks before I started to share it. And then it took even longer before it became a book and it became a book kind of by accident. Uh, But by the time um, Patty passed away, I had shared a lot about our lives together and I'd shared the story of, of transformation of how we had gone from, you know, through this change and how we had all learned anew how to live our lives and how to find beauty in the world around us. So I, that had been something that I had shared for a long time. And, and then when it came to Patty's death, um, 
it took me a while to share it, but Patty, I felt like I was sharing Patty with the world from the beginning. And, and when she passed away, her memorial was just so enormous and so many people showed up to tell me about what she had meant to them. And so I felt like it was, it was something that I was okay to share with because all, all, and, and also the, the experience itself. I mean, I read a few books at the time trying to understand this and trying to get perspective um, and I found them helpful. And so I felt like sharing what I was going through would be helpful and it would be making something and that that was the right thing to do. And Patty had, had coached and mentored so many people who had gone through disability and who'd gone through other difficult things in their lives. And so I felt like it was also what she would have wanted me to do too. Um, and and I, there were certainly lots of things that I didn't share with anybody, um, but the, the discoveries that I made, some of them seemed like they seemed right to share. And, and the feedback that I got from people both people who I knew closely and people who I didn't really know, but who had something in common with me was helpful to me as well. So I think it was, it was a good idea. Right. I, f I found the same thing I share with you before we started um, in the midst of um, uh, an art career that was starting to take off. I belong to a group called art to the fifth and we, started this online community of the documented life project and and you you actually participated a couple of years with us but it was a free online community and we ended up gathering 15,000 people to to create online um in mm. and, and uh so when my husband passed away it was uh sudden as well and um it was a very public grief because all of these people in this group knew and the outpouring was enormous and while it was very beautiful it was really hard it was hard to just you know you know you you don't want pity on one hand and on the other hand you just appreciate everyone who cares so much about you but it wasn't until much later that i went back and started reading all of the messages that people were writing to me and how many of those people were going through or had gone through the same thing and giving me encouragement and telling me you know advice and, and you know you can get through this and here you know here's what you're going to look at next and that kind of thing so i um i instantly it turned things around for me and and made me feel like you know maybe i need to be sharing my experiences as well i think that's great i think it's it's i'm, I'm glad that you did i'm glad that you got so much out of it i think i think there certainly are things where you feel terribly alone and you can't even share you can't even share it with your family you know and, um, you know, I think that there are also, there are moments when you're grieving that are so weird and unexpected and almost physical in the way that they manifest. I mean, you can think that you're fine and then suddenly on a sunny day out of nowhere, you know, you feel like you're punched in the gut. And, you know, having somebody to talk to is sort of helpful, but there's also almost a thing you have to ride out and go through and it does pass. You know, I, I, I compared it with being literally being hit by a wave. They call it sort of waves of grief. It was literally like a wave that knocks you aware. And then eventually it passes and you get up and you, and you can say, it's like, well, what was that about? Like, where did that even come from? Right. What's going to happen <laughs> so far down the road? You know, um, I was lucky because my sister, my sister had, was also a widow and, um, she had lost her husband. He had 
passed away from sleep apnea in his sleep on the couch one day when she was about 30. So I had a person who was very close to me who had gone through some of this, and she was also very close to Patty, so she was going through grief as well. And I found that having at least this one person to be deeply connected to was really, really, it just brought up other emotions that I felt really glad to have. You know, because you're so raw going through all this. Everything is, it is so raw. intense. Yeah. Yeah. Raw and vulnerable, for sure. So, but I, I had the opposite experience. You, you know, my art was silenced when he passed away because I was in the middle of this big group and then I, I couldn't pick up a paintbrush. I went um, over a year without sketching or doing anything, but you, that you really sort of the opposite happened to you, right? I, I picked up your book, Everyday Matters and just poured through that. Uh, it's a wonderful book and how, you know, your art just um, became a lifeline for you. I mean, Everyday Matters is a book about Patty's first accident, and it took it took me a year of this kind of pondering to start drawing. But when she passed away, it just took me a couple of weeks to get back to it because I knew how valuable it had been to me the first time. And it's interesting, though, because before she died, in the, in the few months before then, my work had been going in a particular direction that I had been everything was monochromatic. I was doing a lot of stuff with um, painting in Sumi ink, which is shades of gray, all black and white lines and so forth. Then I started to draw and paint in the weeks after she passed away. And all I wanted was the most intense colors I could find. It's sort of the opposite of what you think of with, yeah. with death, right? Mm -hmm. Patty loved color and uh, pink was her favorite color. And I was just, I bought these um, liquid watercolors, Doc Martin's uh, liquid watercolors, and they're so bright, so vivid, so intense, and that's what I needed. I wanted to just make everything pink, orange, yellow, um, and occasionally I would work in other colors, but there was something about that that felt really right. Um, and I wanted to tell the story of what we were going through Jack and I were going through, um, in part because I wanted to capture it for him. Like I wanted, mm -hmm. I wanted him to be able to look back on this time. I don't know why I thought he wouldn't be able to. Of course, he always will. <laughs> but I and I and so everyday matters came first, and then everyday matters was about okay, yeah, right. everyday matters was was um, two thousand one or two. Okay, and um, kiss before you go was like two thousand twelve. So ten years later. Okay. Yeah. Well, there was um, something you wrote in Everyday Matters where you talk about uh, a tuna fish sandwich and how, um, I know you've written a lot of books and I don't know if you remember the exact excerpt, but you talk about, you know, when you drew it um, and then you went back and looked at the picture, it brings you right back to that taste of that tuna fish sandwich. And, and um, so, so tell us a little bit about, you know, how you feel when you're drawing and how you're getting immersed in that and not just looking at an object and drawing, you know, a building, you know, what are you, what are you thinking and feeling? So I, I tend to draw a lot of what I draw is from observation, but it's also everyday matters means just everyday things, mundane things. I don't draw the stuff of great art. I draw tuna fish sandwiches and shoes and sleeping dogs and things like that. I draw just the stuff around me. Um, but when I draw, 
I slow everything down. I think my, it's like those moments um, in a movie, a special effects movie, when suddenly, you know, time slows and people are able to like dodge bullets or do whatever, you know, it's like everything is very, very intense. And, you know, they say in moments of trauma, that's what it can be like, right? That's why like mothers can pick up cars and lift them off their babies or, you know, people have these very intense moments. Drawing, of course, isn't quite like that, but it is, I think it's, I, I compare it with like um, when you scan an image, like, you know, you put an image in a scanner and you get to choose how many dots per inch, how high is the resolution going to be? And, uh, you know, if you want a really high resolution, if you want a really high resolution image, the scanner moves super slowly, right? And it's, it's like really, really concentrating on all the stuff that it's scanning and getting all that information. So I think that when I draw something, I'm really slowing down and the world is becoming like, uh, you know, very, very focused on that moment. And while I'm, of course, focusing on the visual information that I'm getting, right, I'm just, my eyeballs are sucking in huge amounts of information and my brain is processing at a faster rate than normal or slower rate or whatever, more intense rate. But I think I'm also picking up sounds and feelings and, you know, so I can walk down a street in New York and see like the corner of a rooftop and remember when I drew it. Oh, that's 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. So I can say, oh yeah, I remember that. And it was like, I remember what the light was like. And I remember I was sitting on the sidewalk over there and I can remember the feeling of the sidewalk under my butt. And I can remember what else was on my mind. It's like a weird, and it's only for that little moment, but it's suddenly I have this like 3D kind of a 4D or 5D experience that wraps around it. So, so my, the, so the drawings that I do in my sketchbook are a journal. That's, that's what they are. I, I draw the moments of my life and then I write about them next to it. So I write short little excerpts, a sentence or two, um, just to kind of capture what I was thinking or feeling at the time that maybe the picture doesn't capture, gives it a bit of context. But these journals are very intense, whereas journals I have that are just written journals, they don't have that power at all. They don't take me back. They feel like it's another person wrote them a lot of the time. Mm, but when I do drawings, they're they are amazingly powerful souvenirs um, and often positive ones too, you know, cause it's, it's generally you don't like draw when you're in a super bad mood or you're feeling distracted or upset. No, you feel good in the moment and right. those feelings come back to you from looking at it. That's my experience. So, so you're, you're drawing, you know, just snapshots of moments basically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, uh, you um, also, I was hoping you could give people advice about getting out and, and sketching. You talked about uh, how daunting it is to go out with your sketchbook out on the street. And I know I've experienced that. And a lot of people that I've taught, they're, they're you know, afraid um, or embarrassed or, you know, want to hide in a corner. And, um, you know, what are some tips you can give people to, to be brave enough to get out there and, and sketch? I mean, I, I started out with under a big giant hat with dark sunglasses sitting in a corner under a tree and, hiding my book from everyone and now I could care less, but. Um. Yeah, I understand that. I mean, I think sitting in like a cafe window drawing the view outside where nobody can see what you're doing is, is a good place to start. But I think here's the thing is to think about this. Like when you're, if you have a, a five-year-old and you give them some crayons and a piece of paper, they 
immediately know what to do and they jump into the moment, right? And they're drawing and they're having fun. They're really having fun with it. And they're having as much fun as if they were watching a video on the iPad or if they were chasing the dog around the yard. They're right now here having fun doing this thing. And when they're done, they've made a drawing. And you say to them, oh, that's so wonderful. I love that drawing that you made. Let's hang it up on the fridge. And the kid is like, yeah, whatever. What else are we going to do? Right? The kid doesn't care about the result of it. He cares about the experience and the process. Mm, and so when, you, so when you go outside to draw, who cares what the other people think? Because you're here doing this thing. And yeah, maybe you'll do a lousy drawing. Chances are you will. If you, have, if you haven't drawn since you were five or six, you'll be really rusty and it'll be awful. But if instead of hyper judging what you're doing with every stroke, you instead say, remember that guy I heard on that podcast was talking about how you can be in the moment by doing this? Let me just do that. Let me just think about it as meditation. So imagine if you were doing meditation in a yoga class or something, you know, you wouldn't really care that much about what people were thinking. You want to be here in your head doing this thing. You can't be distracted by the people sitting around you. So similarly, say to yourself, the reason I'm doing this isn't to have a good drawing. In fact, I'm going to say this to myself. I'm going to take a piece of paper with me and I'm going to do a drawing on it and then I'm going to crumple it up and throw it away in the trash in this, in this Starbucks before I leave. That's my contract with myself. Oh, so it, does, it really doesn't matter. Now, you may say, eh, all right, I'm going to break that contract. <laughs> I don't like this drawing. I'm going to keep it. But it's not about sort of like my clever joke is to say it's not called a drawn. It's called a drawing, right? It's present tense. And you're drawing it now. That. It's not about it's not about the thing that's left over afterwards. It's not about the the dirty plate after you've eaten the meal. It's about the experience of eating it. It's about the experience of drawing it, of being here now. So if you can get away from thinking about art as a product, as a thing that you're going to make to hang on the wall, to impress people, to sell, to be judged, forget all that. And instead just say, I want to have this experience now. And I want to think of it like a lot of other things that make me feel good. You know, maybe exercise makes you feel good. Maybe running makes you feel good. You know, maybe eating or drinking or watching TV or any of the things that make you feel good. Just think of it like that. It's a thing, an experience, a process. It's not about a product. It's not about sitting down and saying, I want to do a perfect drawing of that person. How do I end up there? No, it's a journey. The journey is the point, not the destination. And so don't worry about it. And, and, and if anybody comes up to you and looks over your shoulder, I can guarantee you this will be the exchange that you have with them. They'll say, oh my God, I wish I could draw. And oh, you'll say, true. well, I'm just starting out. I'm really not very good. <laughs> and they'll say, are you kidding? I wish I could do it. That's amazing. I guarantee you, no matter how lame you think you are, you will have that conversation if anybody looks over your shoulder. So oh, That's so true. Right. So people just admire the fact that you have the guts to do it. You know, but, but you don't have to say to them, well, I'm just learning, or oh, I'm just starting out. You just say, thank you. Well, uh, Danny, I want to talk about sketchbook school, but I think you just had the perfect segue into the, uh, the monkey, the monkey voice and the monkey brain. So maybe we talk about that first. And um, you have a, just this great analogy of, of this, this critic's voice inside your head. Yeah, we all have this voice. I mean, the only people who don't have a voice in their head are, are 
sociopaths, people who don't really don't care what anybody thinks. But um, but all of us have a voice that says, um, "Don't take risks." That's the most basic thing. That's what it's telling you. Don't do new things. Stay in your comfort zone. Um, and that's a voice that it may sound like somebody you know. It might sound like your mother or your grandmother or your first grade teacher, but it's not actually those those voices. It's actually a really, really primal voice that goes back to before we were even human beings. Um, it is this voice that is there to preserve us. And it has a, an important function. You know, it tells kids, don't try to fly off the garage roof. Don't eat the dog's food. Don't, you know, run and play in in weird neighborhoods you've never been in without asking anybody's permission. Don't talk to strangers. A lot of things that are like good not to do. And that preserves you. And the people who don't have that voice don't survive, you know, but the people who do, when we lived in a cave and they said, mm, be careful before you go outside or don't eat that weird plant that's growing out there. You don't know what it is. So it preserves us. And, um, you know, it is, it is literally a, physical part of our brain called the amygdala that is there to preserve, to, to mitigate risk. Now, a lot of our brain has grown over that and, you know, and, and we now know how to solve problems. So we don't have to just be in this kind of binary uh, relationship with new experiences, do it or don't do it, fight or flight. We don't, we have nuances, but at its core, um, as we get older, we have to have, we, that voice will continue. And, it, and when you are trying to be creative, when you're trying to do things, particularly for the first time, as creative people always do, right? That's what we do. We're always trying new things. We're always creating new combinations. We're always taking risks. But when that voice comes up, it doesn't like that. And it says, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't take a class. Don't try this new material. Don't risk your career. Don't risk your relationships. Don't do all these things. And so you have to figure out how to deal with that because you can't shut it off ever. You can't, I mean, I wrote a book called Shut Your Monkey and I use the monkey as an analogy because I think of it as like a little scared monkey that's sitting in the back of my head that's saying all this, but you can't really shut it. You can kind of calm it. And sort of ignore it. You sometimes will succumb to it. You try negotiating with it. There's lots of different strategies that you can have to dealing with it. And um, yeah, that's that's what the whole monkey business is about. <laughs> the monkey business. Yeah. No, I love it. I think it's good. I think I think artists more than anyone I know suffer with that. That uh, I'm not good enough to post this. I can't. I don't want anyone to look in my art journal. I you know I I don't know why that is. Why it is about artists that they it's a comparison thing. I guess. Well, we live on the edge. We're risk taking. So, so we, it's very, very shrill. If you have a very comfortable existence and you do exactly what you're supposed to do, but, but here's the thing, we're living right now through a completely new experience in human history, right? Indeed. And we can't avoid change. So we can't, and ironically, the way to deal with this change is to actually be super conservative and, hunker down, right? Lock ourselves in our houses. Right. But yet it's also a time where you might say, 
how else can I approach this creatively? How can I protect myself? I still want to live, but do I have to just be terrified and withdrawn? Or can I actually use this opportunity to, to look at my life, you know? And I think for both you and I, having gone through the experience of losing our loved one, again, our lives changed so dramatically overnight. And we, and we had that option of like, do you just, you know, crawl under the covers and disappear? Or do you get to a point where you say, okay, now what? How do I step back out? And how, and it's not gonna be, as we said earlier, it's not gonna be stepping back. It's gonna be stepping forward. It's gonna be a new thing. So what is it about my life that I need to reconsider? What's gonna change? I mean, for me, I changed so many things. I mean, I changed, you know, started with getting a new bank account. I mean, I just went through like everything. I started, I went to a different dry cleaner. I just went through a lot of changes just to see like, what is it I need to hang on to? Um, and what is it that is really essential to me and who I am? What, what are the things that are non-negotiable? And you'd be surprised that there's actually not that many of them. You know, I mean, I think we're all going through that now where it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe I don't need a lot of the things that I, assumed I had to have. That's and, true. Uh, you know, when I conceived of this uh, podcast and it's been a year in the making and the website, I never dreamed we'd be in the middle of a global pandemic as we <laughs> Oh, I knew, I knew it was going to happen. I thought, oh, she better think about that when she's making that podcast. <laughs> I know. See, I should have read more of your books. But um, no, I, uh, so, so, you know, I mean, it's, it's only natural that we should talk about that. And, and I think you're doing a wonderful thing right now. You've got this Facebook live party right now. I, I see so many people absolutely terrified. I know I've, I've um, talked a lot of friends off the ledge. I get, I'm getting FaceTime calls all day long with friends saying, oh, I'm scared about this and scared about that. And I'm trying to get people to focus on, hey, you know, clean out that closet you've always wanted to clean out and haven't had time or get that art journal out. And um, so, you know, you're doing a great thing with your Facebook Live, and tell us tell us about that. Um, yeah, so I for last year or so, I did a thing called Draw with Me, where every Thursday I would say, "Let's just get together at lunchtime and draw for forty five minutes." And um, a lot of people like that; they like the idea of having kind of an appointment to draw, <clears throat> and you know, so you know at least once a week you're drawing. And then when the quarantine began. I thought, well, that we all have more time now. We're all, our schedules are more flexible. Um, let's do this every day. So every day, it was noon in New York, but now it's nine o'clock here in Phoenix. Um, we get together and sometimes I'll show a lesson from the archives of Sketchbook School's lessons. We've made many, many classes and many, many lessons with lots of different artists. And we'll kind of watch one together and then we'll try it out. Um, or sometimes I'll just invent something depending on what is I'm thinking. And also we'll just talk about how, how we're feeling. It's so nice to have hundreds of people showing up from all over the world who are interested in this at the same time. And we talk about what are we feeling? What are we experiencing? Um, but also to me, it's important to say, let's not obsess about the media and, and the information, you know? It's like I said to my son early on, I said, 
look, all you really need to know is like, wash your hands and stay away from people. You don't really need to spend several hours a day getting more information because it's not right. going to make you feel better. How many times you know, a day know, can we have breaking news? Right, exactly. So just like, there's really nothing to know except that. And now spend your time instead of making stuff because when you make things, you're creating, you're creating something new. You're, that is a beautiful act. And instead of being um, a consumer of gloom and panic become a creator of joy and beauty, you know? And, and it, again, like I said earlier, it doesn't have to be good. That's not what it's about. It's no. just about passing the time and, and, and being with other people who feel the same way and supporting each other, but also maybe learning something, maybe trying something new and also saying to yourself, you know what? Like we're all, we're all in peril. So we have, we can afford to take risks. Like this, we have less, a lot less to, to lose than normal right now. So honestly, of all the things that could happen to you, having some stranger think that your drawing isn't very good. That's pretty far down the road, <laughs> right? Way that, down, yeah, yeah exactly. So, so like take a risk, like now's your, now's your chance. Nobody's yeah, looking, nobody perfect. cares, go and do it. That's and perfect. then, yeah. And then honestly, when we emerge from this, the same is true. You know, it's going to be equally unimportant what anybody else thinks. You know, you're doing your thing and, you know, that's, I mean, the, the, the fact is nobody notices what you anyway. Nobody ever pays attention. <laughs> everybody just thinks about themselves. Always. We're always just interested in ourselves. So, so that's fine. Nobody's, nobody's oh. bothering to think about who's this person. Do they think they're an artist now? Oh, what are you, an artist? <laughs> Really? I've seen what you've drawn. I wouldn't, I wouldn't quit my job over it. I mean, like all those things. It's like, well, all right. Oh, that's great advice. I love it. Well, um, I would love to talk about sketchbook school. I, I want to, uh, I think I must've been one of the first 10 people to sign up for it when you first launched it. Oh, well, thank I was you. there from the beginning and, and I think it's because I knew, uh, I knew about you and had read your books and, um, so when, when sketchbook school launched, I was all in. And, um, so I'd love for you, I, you know, for the small percentage of people on this planet that don't know about sketchbook school, I'd love for you to tell everybody about it and, you know, how it, how it was conceived and just everything you can share about it. Well, at its most basic, it's an online art school, you know, but I don't think it really is that. And that's why we sell spell school in sketchbook school we spell school with a k because it isn't like a regular school um you know i i think a lot of people who come to sketchbook school may have gone to art school or wanted to go to art school but didn't get to go to art school a lot of people went to art school and then never made art again after they went to art school you know so i don't think that art school is necessarily an important or essential part of being a creative person but also, I, you know, I'm not incredibly comfortable with the title artist. I don't know about you, but to no. me, I'm still, I mean, I'm definitely a writer, but I'm not, I, my mother always says, you know, you can call yourself a painter or an illustrator or a sculptor, but somebody else has to call you an artist, you know? And, uh, and so, so it's sort of like, she'll say, um, it's like calling yourself a genius. Like, don't do it. <laughs> Somebody else might call you it. That's fine. So I think I've always had a bit of ambivalence about the term um, artist. But sketchbook school is really an opportunity for people who aren't sure about how to be creative, aren't kind of would like to do it, but aren't really sure about it. 
um, that this is an opportunity for them to come to an environment that is that is warm and supportive, full of a lot of people who are going through the same thing, and to take risks and to start to experiment in that context. And the artists who, and I think they are artists, the people who are, in, are instructors, they, um, we teach in a slightly different way than the normal expectations. And normally you expect that an art instructor is gonna just give you a bunch of steps to go through and then you're gonna end up with a piece of art at the end and they're gonna teach you step by step. And we have a little bit of that, but really more the idea has always been what is, what is it like to be an artist? What is it like to have that creative life? Because I've always kind of fantasized about it, but what is it really like? And how do people get to do that? You know, and so what we do is every week, most, in a lot of our classes, you'll go to a store and you'll spend the day with them. And, and the artist will say, hey, come on in, let me show you around. Look, look at how cool this is. I have this, place the right drawn paint over here and I have all these art supplies and I have this big wall full of sketchbooks and I have um, all these um, things that I've made. Let me take down a sketchbook and take, take you through it. And so they'll take you through pages of their sketchbook and they'll tell you about where they made them and what they got out of them and how they did it and so forth. And then they'll tell you a bit about themselves, you know, just as they would if you went to the studio, like, well, how did you get to be an artist? Like, what did you do? Well, what was it like when you grew up? When did you, what are the issues that you wrestle with? So they'll talk about their lives and they'll talk about what they've learned. What are the most important things that they've experienced and what can you take away from that? And then they'll say, all right, let's make some art. And they'll sit down and they'll do a drawing and a painting in their sketchbook and they'll, you'll sit alongside them and they'll take you through the experience and say, this is what I'm doing. And then they'll turn to you and say, okay, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do with everything that I just taught you? You can make a copy of what I just did if you want, or you can take what I inspired you with in this day of conversations, and you can go and make your own thing. And what the artists and what I'm hoping you'll take away from that is you'll say, well, I don't want to just do a step. I don't want to like sit down with Bob Ross and paint, you know, a, some pine trees in a cabin. I want to be inspired and go off and make me, make my art, my thing. And so then the next week, a whole new artist comes along and you have that experience all over again. And then week by week, you pick up a little bit of this and a little bit of that and you're making stuff. And when you're making it, you're uploading it to the website if you want to. And all these other people who are doing it with you see what you're doing and they say, that's great. Or how did you do this? Or I wish I'd thought of that. That's so interesting. Or what inspired you to do that? Or what did they say that made you, what did you think about that? So you're having this whole conversation around it. And a lot of times when we think about going to art lessons, we think about having a critique, right? So critique is let's put all the work up on the, on the wall and the teacher's going to come around and tell you what you did wrong. Um, I think that's nonsense. I didn't, first of all, want to know what I did wrong particularly. I want to know what I did right. And, but also, I don't think that artist necessarily knows what I did right or wrong. I do. You know, I know oh, because I'm trying to express yeah. me, right? I'm trying to express me. This person doesn't even know me, but I know that that blue is the color of my mother's favorite China teacup from when I was a kid, uh -huh. you know? And I know that I drew that tuna fish sandwich because, you know, 
it reminded me of uh, my third grade teacher and how I used to always leave my tuna fish sandwich in my backpack and whatever it is, all these things. Like, how could anybody know that, right? These are the things that you bring that bring meaning to your art you're making. So, so anyway, so that's what Sketchbook School is like on a certain level. Um, on other levels, we will take you through and teach you about watercolor and we will teach you about how to draw people and we'll teach you all, we'll teach you the basics. So we have a thing called boot camp where you could come in and you can say, I know nothing or I haven't drawn in years or I hate the way that I draw. We say, okay, let's just like boot camp. You know, there's nobody's going to be yelling at you or making you crawl through the mud, but we are going to break it down and say, all right, every day you're going to do a little thing and then you're going to work your way back through drawing skills. And then we're going to start talking about shading and then we're going to talk about color and then we'll talk about watercolor and then we'll bring it all together and you're going to make some stuff that is going to blow you away. And so that's the process. And so it's, it's people at all levels. I mean, we have people who have never drawn before. We have people who are professional illustrators and designers who just feel like they've lost their way and they're disconnected from their truth. And, and they want to make stuff with their hands again because they sit at a computer all day. There's all kinds of reasons that people come. But ultimately, people come back. You know, they don't just take a class and then move on to other classes because you have lifetime access to the class if people come back. But then they also, they meet friends and people to hang out right. with. Well, from a, from a participant's point of view, um, I find it to be the most encouraging community. And I would much rather um, relate to people on, in sketchbook school than on Facebook. You know, I'd like, I like um, the positivity, but also I've been exposed to artists that I never knew about through sketchbook school and different types of art. So it's been a, if, if, uh, if any of the listeners haven't heard about it, you need to check it out for sure. But I, I'm curious, how, how did you come up with this concept? Um, it's a little bit convoluted, but basically um, I had, I decided to quit my job and focus on just making art. And so my first thought was like, well, one way that I could support myself, I guess, is I could teach workshops. And so I went and taught a workshop and it was a three day workshop and about 50 people showed up and it was very intense. And I lost my voice for three days. Wow. And I thought like, okay, this is gonna be a hard way to make a living. But then I thought, well, I, I really know a lot about making films. I spent 30 years as an executive creative director in advertising. So I really know about filmmaking, editorial, how to use, all the t tricks of the movie business to make beautiful film. And so I thought, well, why can't we apply this to these ideas that you might have in a workshop? So rather than going to a workshop with a few people on the weekend, why can't we capture that and share it with lots of people all around the world who can't necessarily make it there and make it affordable so they can, you know, they may not be able to afford to go to a workshop. And also I have so many friends who are artists and I wanted to say a lot of them don't teach. And so I wanted to create a format where we said, how can you um, teach, even if you don't think of yourself as a teacher, where, how can you share and teach in the way that, you know, artists used to learn. Artists didn't used to go to art school. They used to be apprentices and they used to hang around with other artists. That's how they got to do stuff. And um, I met my partner, Kosha Kona, who lives in Amsterdam because I was giving a talk there and we had a cup of coffee and we started talking and 
she was thinking about some of the similar things that I was thinking about. And so we just decided to make one class. It was one of many things I was doing at the time. I was doing public speaking. I was writing a book. I was doing freelance work. And then I thought, we'll teach this class. And it turned out to be something that a lot of people were interested in. So we made another one, another one. And now we've made like 30 of them. And it just kind of took off and it became my, my full-time job, really. And it became a company. And it, we've had, I don't know, 60 or 70,000 people have taken our classes. We've oh, had over, wow. yeah, we've had about um, over 50 artists have been in our instructors and uh, it's gone on for five and a half years now. So that's been amazing. Well, did, did it surprise you the popularity of it? I mean, I wouldn't even use that as the, as the, as the appropriate word. I mean, I never occurred to me that anything like this would happen with it. It wasn't, that wasn't the idea. Um, and I mean, it's sort of ironic because I didn't really want to have a job, but I kind of made myself one. But um, but no, it, I had no idea. I mean, I no. I mean, it was. I wish that I had gone to sketchbook school. I mean, it would. It was the kind of thing that I. And that's often what's guided with a lot of what we've done is what do I want to learn? Who do I want to work with? Who do I want to meet? What would it be interesting to me? That's really been, you know. And so the it's taken weird twists and turns and we've brought in all kinds of different people just simply because I wanted to meet them and to learn from them. And so it's really been a, um, a sort of a vanity project in that regard. Oh, that's great. Well, well, it, that's how it comes across to me as if, as if you're um, um, presenting something that you would want to take yourself and you and Kusha are a great team together. Well, thank you. Um, and I just want to ask you one other question. You had a podcast a while ago. Um, do you have plans to, to um, start that back up again? Or um, yeah, I, so I, had... I listened to every episode and I, I think you're a really a fascinating person and I, I learned a lot and just That's so nice. seems like podcasting is a new blogging. Yeah. So I blogged since 2003. So I did that for a long time. And then I did, um, I did a podcast based on Shut Your Monkey. And, um, and then I did another podcast for Sketchbook School called Art for All. And I absolutely want to go back to doing it. It was really fun to do. And I have lots of new ideas. Right now, though, doing this daily um, live drawing party is kind of becoming a podcast of sorts in the sense that it's like, oh yeah, yeah. you know, I have guests on and I talk about stuff and we do things and it's, and it's mm -hmm. visual so we can draw and you can see what we're drawing, which is nice. Um, but yeah, I absolutely want to do it. And I just need to get back to New York and get my stuff. <laughs> And I can do it. We're all a little displaced right now, aren't we? That's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, Danny, I, I uh, don't know if there's anything else you want to share that, that you've got on the horizon or anything coming up or you want to tell the listeners no, about? No, I mean, I think um, if you're interested in anything that I've been talking about, you can visit um, sketchbookschool.com with a K. And, but also just come and join me on these morning things. I do it on Facebook and on YouTube, Dreams to Multiple Places. And if you go to the Sketchbook School uh, YouTube channel, you'll see it there. I'm not sure when this podcast is going to come out, whether we'll still be doing it, but probably we have time on our hands I'm now. I'm sure, yes. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, but also, you know, Sketchbook School, we make so many different things. We're always, we do all kinds of things on all different kinds of social media plat platforms. So if you don't feel like buying anything, that's fine. Um, there are lots of things that you can experience. But if you do want to join me in a course, I would certainly say, check out this boot camp because it's a new thing that we've just been just started and it's just a great way to start getting back in touch with 
I also uh, teach another course called How to Draw Without Talent. And that's also the, my most recent book has the same title. And that's, uh, you know, an even shorter, less uh, ev evasive way of just picking up the basics of drawing, how to draw without talent. So yeah, lots of ways of, of um, consuming my, my creations. Um, but most of all, I would say the thing that I would hope for you is that you, you know, give yourself the chance to, to draw or to sing or to do something that you've always thought would be kind of interesting to do, but for some reason you didn't think you should try it out um, and, and see where it takes you. It's, yeah, that's it's a good thing to do. That's great. And I will have links to all everything um, in the show notes from this episode. So, well, Danny, I just want to thank you. Um, you, you have been such a gracious guest and um, um, been very entertaining to listen to. And I appreciate you agreeing to come on and, and talk to me. Great. And, well, I'm honored. Thank you nice so much. To, Thanks. Nice to meet you finally. Thank you. I look forward to listening to your podcast and, uh, and to, to hearing all your other guests because you're, you're a great conversationalist too. And oh, thank it's, you. It's, it's been really fun. So thank you. Okay, Same here. Well, all the best. And um, we'll have all the information, like I said, in the show notes and hope to see you soon on Facebook Live. Absolutely. I'll see you tomorrow morning. <laughs> Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Wow, guys, isn't Danny great? If you haven't looked into Sketchbook School, I highly recommend you check it out. There truly is something for everyone, and it has exposed me to some incredible artists I wouldn't have known otherwise. It also gave a name to something that I've been doing for years and years, and that's documenting through art. I thought I was the only one. I own nearly every book that Danny has written and devour his artwork and his writing over and over. His touching tribute to his wife, Patty, in A Kiss Before You Go, was something that resonated with me as I struggle with my own grief, and I'm grateful he shared that vulnerable story with the world. I hope you find some time during this global pandemic to do something creative. It is so good for the soul. I find when I bury myself in my sketchbook, the hours pass by with no stress or worry, so try to immerse yourself in documenting your days. Maybe even join Danny for his live drawing party on Facebook and YouTube every day at 9 a.m. Pacific. I know I'll be popping in for some fun and inspiration. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I would appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review it. I love hearing from you. If you want to follow along on my art journey, you can find me at LorraineBell.com and links for everything discussed today are in the show notes. Thanks for listening to Postcards from the Road and taking the next step on the wandering artist journey. I hope you've been inspired to keep putting one foot in front of the next, and though we can't physically travel at this time, don't let anyone stop you from at least dreaming about it. Until next time, this is Lorraine Bell, wishing you adventures beyond your wildest dreams. Thank you.